to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 8. We'll start there this morning. We'll read verses 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Praise God. Yeah, it's good to see Brother and Sister Aguilar with us this morning. Brother Mark uh, this week gave a devotional at Men's Fellowship. He did an outstanding job. He talked about David and his men when they got the Ziklag. Some of them went after the women and children. They took up their swords and went after the women and children. But there was a group of them that said, we're too tired. And we're too weak, so we'll just stay here in the camp. And so his testimony was about his experience in life, military, police. And there was a father that didn't stay in the camp but prayed for him every single day. And he attributes to where he is today because of a father in his life. Excellent, excellent, powerful, powerful devotional. So it's good to see you and your wife here with us this morning in the house of God and everyone else. God is very, very good to us. Amen. And someone said amen. Praise God. Are you blessed of the Lord? Has God blessed you? Praise God. Amen. I'm thankful for God's blessing and his goodness and his favor. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse number eight. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, strength made perfect. Strength made perfect. When you see the word perfect in the New Testament, it's not talking about a state or status. It's talking about a maturity and a completeness. So when we become perfect in Christ means we become complete in Christ. Because no matter how much you think you're perfect, you're not there. Amen. You're not there. But you can be perfect in the sense that you can be complete in Jesus Christ. Amen. And in this passage, Jesus said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Strength made perfect. Lord, we thank you and praise you. Today, we ask that you would strengthen us from the word of God. We acknowledge you. We praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. It's good to see everybody here today in the house of God. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and there are some false prophets that have brought confusion to the Corinthian church, and they are challenging the very one that started the Corinthian church they're challenging Paul. And so Paul has to make a rebuttal. He's got to provide some argumentation against these false prophets that are making claims and accusations. And so Paul, in the beginning, felt that it would be wise to talk about his visions 
and revelations from the Lord. And he is doing that because he wants his opponents to know, no matter how much they think that they have knowledge, Paul wants them to know and he wants to challenge them to his superior apostleship by reporting his own extraordinary visions which surpassed any false prophet's claims, especially as it pertains to the church that Paul himself founded. And so when he starts this, he says in verses 2 and 3, he said, I know a man in Christ. It seems that Paul might be talking about someone else, but it's very clear that he is talking about himself. He's talking in the third person out of modesty that he knows of a man in Christ. And then he talks about some of his own visions, understandings, extraordinary revelation. He said that this man was caught up to the third heaven. What does it mean when he's talking about the third heaven? There are rabbinical sources that talk about seven heavens. And in the Old Testament, there is a discussion about the heaven of heavens. So there are different levels of heaven. So if Paul is talking about in some way trying to categorize where he was when he saw these extraordinary things, he would not have said that he's in the heaven of heavens, but he would say, I was in the third heaven, which means I was in a heavenly place and experienced God's goodness. And there I received some visions. And he said, I received it in such a way, I don't know if I was in the body or out of the body. He said this was like a place of, of paradise. This was a place where the dead in Christ enter. And I heard inexpressible things from angels and God that I am not even permitted to tell. There are other false prophets, and they're telling you of what they've seen and heard. Paul said, I've seen something that's so great, I can't even speak of it. John, the revelator, he gave a revelation of what he was shown. Paul said, I've seen things that are so great that it is outside the ability to even talk about this experience. I'm not permitted to even convey what I heard there. And with a touch of irony, then he turns and he says, I'm not going to boast about myself. I'm only going to talk about the strength that is in my weaknesses. He said, I could talk about mysteries, and that would still be truth. But I want to talk about the fact that God uses the small and insignificant things to confound the wise. He takes what appears to be weakness and he makes it strong. And so he begins to talk about the fact I don't want to become conceited about where God has brought me. I want to talk about uh, his ability to take who I am and what I am and, and make something out of it. I want to say here this morning, God can take you and make something out of you. You say, well, you don't understand my weaknesses. The point I'm going to make here and hammer here with a hammer of the word is God 
understands what your weaknesses are and he wants to make you strong. You say, well, there's a lot of things that have transpired in my life that are horrific and traumatic. I know that. And I also know that God can take those things and he can make you strong because strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, it's my weaknesses that keep me grounded. Otherwise, I would be conceited. But God gave to me a thorn in the flesh. And it's something I deal with every day. So I know my position in life. I know that I'm weak. But I also know that there's a God that knows how to make me strong. Praise God. There have been situations that if you have faced that have been abusive situations. There have been people that have used you, deceived you, manipulated you. And they were supposed to be the very people the closest to you. We could look at you and say you'll never amount to anything. And the devil will say that. But I'm standing here in this pulpit preaching that God wants to make you somebody that is powerful. God wants to call you and elevate you and use you. Praise God. I defy that evil spirit that would come and say you will never amount to anything. Because of your past, your situation, your failures, your difficulties, the insurmountable objects and obstacles that stand in your way. No, the word of God is very clear that it doesn't matter what your weakness is. God can elevate you to sit together in heavenly places. Amen. Don't let the accuser of the brethren tell you anything different. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, whatever he is, come to you and tell you, you're not going to amount to anything because you are going to amount to something in God, in Christ. Praise God. You are going to amount to a child of God. You are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You have been brought into the family of God. God intends for you to be here. God intends for you to be strong. Despite all of this, great revelation and mysteries and third heaven experience, Paul said, in order to keep me grounded and to keep me from getting the big head conceited and, and, and instead of becoming proud and arrogant, the Lord gave to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, what is the thorn in the flesh? In the Old Testament terminology, a thorn in the side was something from God that was a description that was trouble inflicted by God. There was something there in Paul's life that became a thorn in his side. And theologians have tried to come up with exactly what that was or is. And there are three proposals, but it is not definite. One, Paul could have had a physical ailment. He talks about his bad eyesight in Galatians. Or it could have been a speech impediment. He talks about not being able to come to them with great speech, but with power of the gospel. So it could have been some kind of physical condition. Number two, Paul spoke of continuing opponents in the church. In one place, he calls them evil beasts because they were in such opposition to him could have been the thorn in the side or it could have been some troubling spiritual attack and severe temptation 
that Paul had to face. Nevertheless, it was a thorn in the side. <laughs> it was a difficulty. It was a struggle. And Paul's main idea is very clear. He asked God three times to remove this thorn from his life, this thorn in the side. And God told him that divine grace was sufficient for him. And my summary point here in introduction is that God's grace is more than just his favor upon our life, but it teaches us. It goes with us. It strengthens us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in the good works of the Lord. So we are saved by grace. There is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. It is of God. It is not by anything that we do. But we should walk in that grace unto good works. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 helps us understand what grace is. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. This is God's default position when it comes to loving humanity. He doesn't want to see you or anybody else lost. He is not willing that any should be lost or perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he is a God that loves humanity. Romans chapter 15 and verse 5, Now the God of patience... And consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. He's long-suffering and he is also patient. Anybody thankful for God's patience? Hallelujah. We would have turned some people out a long time ago. But God was patient enough with us to give us some time to get whatever it was fixed so that we're in the house of God today rather than removing us from the table of the Lord. I'm thankful for his patience. I've not always been what I need to be, but thank God for his patience. And I've been able to find an altar even in the midst of my ups and downs. God was not willing that I would be lost, and he had patience with me. Praise God. Not only that, in John chapter 12 and verse 32, the scripture said, I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. God supernaturally draws us. In the house of God today, you have the opportunity to allow the ministry of the Holy Ghost to provide to you exactly what you need. Why? Was it because of the musicians or the singers? Was it because of the service leader? No, it was the supernatural drawing of God himself pulling you into his presence. Ladies and gentlemen, here in the house of God today, when God draws, I'm not standing around looking around like I don't know what's going on. I recognize there is a supernatural thing that is taking place as God draws me into his presence. This is the grace of 
God. This is how it is defined. God is long-suffering. God is patient. And he pulls us into his presence so that we can make changes in our life, so that we can become more like he is and less of our own carnality and what the world is. This is how grace is defined. This is grace. I'm giving you scripture that defines grace, the favor of God. He's long-suffering. He's patient. He draws you. And then in 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9, he's quick to forgive because the scripture said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants to forgive you in the house of God today. If you've done something squirrely, stupid, out of your mind in the house of God today, you can lift your hands and say, God, I repent. I want to turn from this wickedness and evil and unrighteousness, and I want to stand before you, not clothed in my own righteousness, but your righteousness, because God is interested in forgiving you. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He draws you, and he forgives you. Why? Why would anybody sit back and not make the proper steps to say, God, I want to be right. I want to be right. It's God's favor. Grace is offered to everyone. It's an extension of his love. And then here's. Here's a key point because most people, they want to sever the next part of the definition of grace. If it's just the unmerited favor of God and everything that I've talked about with no empowerment or action, you've got something that is missing the point of the verse that we read because it's the grace of God that moves us into good works because we are his workmanship. Because of God's grace, I should be doing something. Because of God's grace, I should be empowered. Because of God's grace, I should be the workmanship of God. You've got to Take the favor of God and put it into action. And when you put it into action, that's the very thing that helps you through every hell that you're going through, through every valley that you walk through. It's the grace of God that is able to make you strong. Titus said in chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. What? Teaching us, teaching us, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Praise God. I, I want the grace of God. I want the favor of God. I want his long-suffering. I want his patience. I want his drawing, and I want his forgiveness. But if those are the only reason that you're coming to the house of God, you're going to feel God's goodness, but you're still lost because you're not changing anything in your life. You're just receiving the benefits of being in God's presence without putting it into action. And there is no salvation 
situation if you don't put some things into action. Praise God. There is no security in knowing that I am in the right place. I'm saved. I'm doing the right thing. If you don't put the grace of God into action because it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness and unrighteousness in this present world. It's the thing that directs us. It's the thing that anoints us. It's the thing that guides us. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the grace of God. Clap your hands unto the Lord and love him. Praise God. And Paul says that there is power in weakness. We read in our opening verse that the Lord said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. There is power in weakness. Throughout the scripture, the corpus of scripture, I like that word, the corpus, all of scripture. Throughout the corpus of scripture, God displays his power in situations where human strength is weak. When God's people are weak, then God's strength becomes evident. I am not walking. You will not catch me walking into this place with pride and arrogancy thinking that I am what I am because of my own abilities and my own independence. I want to declare to you and confess today in the house of God. I am a man miserable if it was not for the grace of God. I needed the grace of God even to get here to this place today. I needed the grace of God to lift my hands and say, God, I'm not what I can be, but I want to be everything that you've called me to be. I want to strive to reach beyond where I am. And the only way I'm going to get there is by the grace of God. We find evidence of this in the scripture over and over and over that God confounds the wise by using what is weak, the walls of Jericho. And we could go on and on. David and Goliath, that appears that there's a certain weakness that God ends up extrapolating and using a mighty, mighty young man for victory. And, and, and we, could, we could follow up and categorize a lot of instances where God's underlying principle is I'm going to take what seems to be a remnant, something that is very small, the Hebrews compared to the Egyptians, no army versus a mighty army. And I'm going to use them because in doing so, it's a testimony of how great and powerful I am. There is power and weakness in the scripture. One of the most amazing examples of this is in 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 6 with Jonathan and his armor bearer. It's just two of them. They're in the land. The Philistines have taken a lot of territory. They're very powerful. Saul is discombobulated. He's not sure what to do. Jonathan and his armor bearer are wandering around, and they come across a garrison that is in an elevated position. The words actually mean between a rock and a hard, a thorny place. And they're on an elevated position, and they see Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they yell down at them and Jonathan and his armor bearer have a conversation and their com conversation goes something like this. If they say to us when they see us, come up unto us, then we will go up for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand and this shall be a sign unto us. 
And so they did. They exposed themselves to this garrison. And those Philistines said, look, the Hebrews have come out of the holes where they have hid themselves. And they answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. Two individuals weak in the wrong strategic positions, low not higher ground. Two guys versus a Philistine garrison. They don't have the capacity or the ability to win the battle, but they recognize an important principle. If they call us up here, it's a sign that the Lord is going to fight the battle for us. It's not about numbers. It's not about strategy. It's not about armaments of warfare. It's about a God that is on our side that is greater than all of that stuff. Greater is he that is on our side than those that would oppose us. And they went up the mountain on their hands and knees. And when they got up there, God wrought a mighty, mighty victory. If you're facing some battles, you don't need more weaponry. You don't need more armor. What you need is a close relationship to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that can go before you to where you can say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper because the name of the Lord is with me. I'd go into the battle like that. I'd go into the battle like that. You don't need to dress yourself all out with the armaments of the world. You need to go in the power of God's authority. The odds are stacked. Looks like there's no way possible. It's, <laughs> it's failure fixing to happen. And God brings about a mighty victory so that God gets the credit, not humanity. That's a key, that's a key part right there. When God does something successful in your life, don't let it stick to you. Say, if it had not been for the Lord, I would not be here or there or do this or that. Everything I have is because of God's goodness and his, his greatness. I got here because of the favor of the Lord. Hallelujah. I have what I have in my possessions because of the favor of the Lord. And if you're here in the house of God today and you've got no possessions, you need to start thanking God for what God is going to bring to you because he ultimately is going to get all the praise. But I have to tell you at the midpoint of this message here this morning that this is antithetical, the antithesis of where the world is presently. The world presents a different mantra, has a different understanding. Praise God. When some of you come to church, it's the preaching of the word that has to break you out of that old mold where you think differently and you start thinking like a child of God instead of a child of the devil. You were a child of the devil, but now you're a child of God. Your mentality is different. So the world has a different mantra. Frederick Nietzsche 
was was the philosopher that came up with this saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, 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 and people thought that was really cool, and it's still attributed to him today, but we just read a, a verse in our scripture that, that preceded Nietzsche by many, many years. That my grace is made perfect in weakness. So, see, this is how the scripture is so very powerful. The scripture is elevated above any philosopher. You want to study philosophy? That's cool. And, and this saying is rather good. It's, it's made its way to popularity where a lot of people use it. But the scripture precedes the philosopher to say, my grace is made perfect in your weakness. So the world has taken the idea of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and now has a mantra of what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Weaker. Turn to your neighbor and look at them and say, weak. <clears throat> that was pretty weak. This is a great untruth. Protect me from anything that disagrees with me. Protect me from anything that can harm me. Provide. This is not good, Sister Mary Ann. This is, this is the untruth. Okay, hang on. <laughs> create a, create a, a, a space of safety for me. Human beings need physical and mental challenges and stressors or we deteriorate. For example, the muscles and joints need stressors to develop properly. Too much rest causes muscles to atrophy, joints to lose range of motion, heart and lung function to decline, and blood clots to form. If you're not moving, if there's not pressure on you, then your body starts dying and atrophying. Without challenges imposed by gravity, astronauts develop muscle weakness and joint degeneration when gravity is not pulling on them. And so there has to be movement. you got to use your muscles to keep your body in a condition to where it can function. If you just sit around and do nothing, your muscles are going to atrophy. Praise God. This, this is in the, in the physical realm. There are things that have to come up against you that puts pressure on you so that you can, you can be physically what God intended for you to be. The same thing happens spiritually. When things come your way, those are the very things that make you stronger. This is why the writer said, count it all joy when you enter into different kinds of temptation. We've got a world that wants to avoid any kind of difficulty. They want to move away from anything that would be opposed to their convictions or mentality or their thinking. But it is a scriptural principle here this morning that when things buffet up against you, it's going to make you stronger. And what's going to make you stronger is the grace of God that is going to help you through it. 
You're going to fail if you're going to try to reach out to the world to help you through your problems. It's going to be an abject failure. It won't be successful. But I'm here to preach faith to you that you can solve your problems by the grace of God helping you through your weakness face whatever mountain, whatever giant, going through whatever valley, whatever fire that you are facing. God can make you strong. Just like the immune system. You lock away the immune system, it's going to atrophy, and then you put it back out among pathogens, it's not going to develop the ability to be what it was intended to be. Children must be exposed to challenges and stressors within limits, obviously, and in age-appropriate ways. Or they will fail to mature into strong and capable adults. If, if, if you protect them from everything, you are going to stunt their development and their growth. Uh, and I got a few parents upset with me because you're overprotective. You need to let your kids be kids in the right environment and grow and develop because otherwise they're not going to be prepared for maturity when the time comes and they're going to want to be protected from everything. This is not good. This is stunted development. And God never intended to stop every little obstacle or every little problem that comes your way when you start living for God. It doesn't work that way. It's amazing when people come to God. Everybody, they have no care about dysfunction, addictions, and everything else. They don't care about any of that. Somebody comes to God, and then all of a sudden, everybody becomes a theologian. And why you should or shouldn't do this or do that. That church occult, and the Holy Ghost is not meant for today, and all this other kind of stuff. And they find themselves having to battle and struggle through this very early stage of their walk with God. We can't protect you from that, but we can tell you that the Holy Ghost is the advocate, and he's on your side. Praise God. And there's a preacher preaching to you to tell you people don't care about you until you make changes where God cares about you and then they want to care about you praise God let God be true in every man a liar if God is working in your life let him continue to work in your life if God's doing miracles and great things let God do miracles and great things I love you, mom, dad, brother, sister, but you are not stopping me from being a child of God. Praise God. They turn around. They get their life changed. They start working. Frank, are you here today? Frank Mendoza, are you here in the house of God today? Where are you, Frank? Stand up, Frank. Frank, God starts doing great things in your life. You get out of prison. You got a full-time job, and everybody comes out of the woodwork to tell you why you can't make it. I'm preaching to you today. You can make it because the grace of God is with you. Praise God. Come on, give that man a hand clap of appreciation. Matter of fact, stand to your feet and give him a hand clap of appreciation. You know who we're giving the credit to? God.
Frank started part-time. They came out and said, Frank, you did such a good job out front. Can you work full-time? Sure, I can work full-time. Benefits and everything to go along with it. You know how I am? I'm a child of God, and God's doing great things in my life. We have to be able to engage productively with people and ideas that challenge our beliefs and moral convictions. This is not the world that we're living in presently. And part of it is because there has been a concept creep Stop and think about this. We were talking about this morning, Brother Pertell. We were talking about playgrounds. Anybody ever remember going down metal slides? Yeah? Oh, boy, that's a long time. We can't have that now. Too hot, burn kids. Can't have that kind of stuff. Concept creep. We're, we're trying to protect everybody from everything. You remember that old fort that was out there? What was it made of? Wood. <laughs> Wood and splinters. We can't have that anymore. That's not approved. we got to have stuff that's not going to hurt kids and keep kids safe. The idea of trauma, the idea of trauma, this started happening around the 80s. See, this, this, is, this is very, very good, and I don't have time to, to launch off into, into all this, but when people are going through difficult times, World War I, World War II, Vietnam War, turmoil situations, when you go through difficult times, trauma is reality. But when you become successful and you get removed from that, and now it's just good and blessing, all of a sudden, concept creeps from, from the major trauma into things that would have never been defined as trauma back in those days. And so there's concept creep. They're not grounded in legitimate psychological research. College students now need safe places and trigger warnings lest words and ideas put them in danger because it's trauma. There's been concept creep because now we move what was really trauma to things that people say as trauma. You can't bring that speaker on campus because it's going to collectively harm all of us and it's going to traumatize us. Somewhere, some parents that have been overprotective and colleges that are doing the same thing trying to be overprotective are setting up a generation for weakness and absolute failure. At some point, you've got to grow some convictions in your life and you've got to be able to say, I know that they're going to be turmoil and difficulties that come my way, but I'm going to make it through this. We've launched out into this realm of safetyism that has become a cult of safety. It's an obsession with eliminating threats, both real and imagined, to the point where people become unwilling to make reasonable trade-offs demanded by other practical and moral concerns. 
Safetyism deprives young people of the experiences that their minds need, thereby making them more fragile, anxious, and prone to seeing themselves as victims. I want to preach to you. I know this is not going to be popular because everybody's a victim of, of who knows what. But in the house of God today, my word tells me that whatever weakness is there, his grace makes me strong. I refuse to be a victim. I refuse. You listen to me. I refuse. I know there would be, there's going to be a blowback and a lashback from a world that says everybody's a victim. Everything started. We're all victims. Well, if we're all victims, we've got no way out and there's no reason to even fight. But I'm fighting the good fight of faith. Not everything has gone well in my life. Not everything has been good in my life. But everything I've gone through has made me who I am. So I'm going to I'm going to trust in the power of God. I refuse to have a mentality that just paints me out to be a victim of everything that's happened to me. I'm a child of God. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of me to make me stronger. God didn't try to protect Paul to his own detriment. And Paul was absolutely not playing the victim card because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 9, he said, most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen to me, sis. Wrap up all those things that could attach itself to you, that could describe you and define you as a victim and say, I'm going to toss those. I'm going to trust in God, and I am going to be made strong in my weakness. You know what you just stumbled upon? You stumbled upon something called a testimony, and they overcame the dragon, the accuser, Satan, by the word of their testimony. I should have been destroyed, but God raised me up. I should have been lost, but God saved me. I should have been out of my mind and drugged out, but God saved me. God saved me, and I'm in the house of God worshiping him and giving him glory because he came through and made me complete. He made me complete by his power and by his authority. Come on. You need to praise God and thank God that in his grace he made you strong. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Come on, lift up your hands and give God thanks that it was his grace. Don't let Sister Black shout by herself. Somebody shout with her. 
I'm here because of God's grace. I'm an overcomer because of God's grace. I'm more than a conqueror because of God's grace. I've made it through because of God's grace. As we stand together tonight or today in conclusion, Paul said it's, it's God's grace that makes me strong and I'm going to glory in all of those things because, he said, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Some writers, when they look at that particular word rest, they, they connect it back to the anointing of God that comes down and it tabernacles or it sets in the midst of God's people in the Old Testament. The Bible says that Moses finished the work and it says, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter into the tent of congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on, upon it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so some have made the connection between Paul saying, when I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and in distresses, for Christ's sake, I do that so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Just like in the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord rested upon the tabernacle. Paul said, if his grace is made, helps my weakness become powerful, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, I'm going to talk about and glory and all the things that are a negative because I want the rest and power and anointing of God to rest. Tabernacle upon me. I'll delight in weakness rather than abhor it. Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties will be causes for joy because in these times of weakness, God is going to make me strong in his power and his anointing. God. Jesus never protected or isolated himself from the pressures of the cross. Jesus didn't need safe spaces except for places to pray. He took upon all of that and said there is a there is a cause worth fulfilling. God. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. 
chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he openeth not his mouth. Let God's glory settle in the midst of the thorns. Build up your most holy faith this morning. Praise God. God knows exactly the struggles that you go through. And he's a God that gives his anointing and presence to you. The grace of God to strengthen you. To bring power to you. To tabernacle upon you. Praise God. I'm not, I'm not minimizing anybody's struggle here today. I want you to understand and know that. There are thoughts that can get up in your head. There are situations emotionally that can, that can mess with your mind. There, there's stages in life that can cause turmoil. There's, there's opportunities where you think that I don't have purpose and destiny. I don't even know what I'm doing. There's stuff from your past that, that is like P, PTSD. You wake up with nightmares and difficulties. I'm preaching to you today that there is a God that can tabernacle, tabernacle on you, that brings to you rest. And the grace of God makes your weakness perfect and makes it strong and gives you strength. And in the house of God today, there's a God that is here to lift you up. wonder if there'd be an honest person here this morning that would step out of a pew and walk to the front and say, you know what? I'll admit it. I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God to tent or tabernacle upon me that brings to me a rest from all the stuff that I'm feeling and facing and the world coming in trying to make everything about victimhood and trying to make everything about safetyism. God take every experience